views and opinions expressed by hosts and by the speakers and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times at this time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the beast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet, Max Parsons, with New Abolitionist and activist Johanna Elias, and Black Talk Media Project founder, Scott Reese. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who helped combat it. February 3rd, 2016. Our stories include... We had an interview scheduled with a young brother by the name of Sidney Myers, but we are canceling that interview today. Uh, further, the Chicago slave catcher who shot and killed 19-year-old uh, Quintonio Legreer has decided to add insult to injury by suing the family of his victim. Just after Christmas, Officer Robert Rialmo stated that he plans on filing a lawsuit against the dead teenager's family because he saw LeGreer somehow assaulted him and thus caused him emotional distress. More from Chi-Town. The Chicago Police Department audit reveals that many of the department's dashboard cameras have been deliberately sabotaged. Last month, the CPD found that 80% of its 850 dash cams do not record audio and 12% don't record video either. The CPD has blamed the failures on operator error or in some cases, intentional destruction. And a close reading of that review by DNA Info Chicago reveals the extent of the latter. Officers frequently tampered with dash cams, stashing microphones in their glove boxes, or pulling out batteries. Some dash cams were found with their antennas deliberately destroyed, and others have had their microphones removed altogether. Further, for Illinois, the widow of the state Illinois police officer who staged his suicide to appear he was gunned down in the line of duty, sparked an intensive manhunt, was indicted Wednesday on charges of assisting her husband in siphoning money from a youth program. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, is fighting hard to hide from public scrutiny the workings of its contracts with prisons, private prisons corporations like CCA and GEO. As detailed in banking on detention, local lockups, quotas, and the immigration dragnet, CCR's June 2015 joint report with Detention Watch Network ISIS contracts with private corporations often includes a provision guaranteeing minimum payment because ICE has already promised to pay the contractors regardless of whether beds are filled, ICE faces pressure and incentives to funnel the people in arrest to privately operated facilities. When they kill somebody on death row in Missouri, a series of envelopes filled with $100 bills is sent out to everyone who assisted in the execution. 
the drug supplier gets the most. An envelope filled with $7,178.88 is sent to them in cash. Now, despite how despicable this sounds, the only concern from the feds is whether or not it's considered tax evasion. They want to make sure they got their cut or else. Uh, time should allow us to tell you that story tonight. The week, this week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Lawrence William Lee. Lee was convicted and sentenced to death after reviewing prosecutorial misconduct and intentional evidence suppression on February 19, 2013, Wayne County, Georgia Superior Court dropped the charges against Lee and he was free. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Samuel Sharp, better known as Sam Sharp, who is one of Jamaica's national heroes. He was born in the parish of St. James in 1801 and died May 23, 1832. A well-educated man who led the slave rebellion of 1831. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. We invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-641-715-3660, extension 549-032-PAN. Just press star 6 and 1 to up from the conference line. Once again, I'm Max Clark. What's happening, Scotty? What's going on, Max? What's going on, listeners? Indeed, man. It's good to be back here again. You know, we uh, talked about this stuff as a uh, a way of life, like really, like it's all it's an everyday thing. You know, once you know, you know, and it's hard not to want to share it with people and explain it, and learn more so you can protect yourself. Uh, and this has been a pretty busy week. A lot of news things have come out, and I'm I'm a little perturbed today, so you have to excuse me. <laughs> Wouldn't have nothing to do with um, the guest that we're not going to have, does it? Well, yeah, that might have something to do with it, but it's primarily over. You know, I, I often get so frustrated around election season. Of course, we all do. So that's, I guess, that's maybe the biggest reason for it. After seeing all of these shenanigans roll down, but in addition to that, man, it's just the uh, way that people tend to ignore a, a program like this, which is so important. I mean, like. I'm an OG in the spoken word industry. Like, literally have Lifetime Achievement Awards and Poet of the Year Awards and international acclaim. But I can't seem to get my, my people in the arts movement to get up and do something, to say something, to act. You know what I mean? Or even to sometimes just do something simple to share this damn program. It's just it's frustrating, brother, and I don't know what to say. Well, I don't let things but, like that get frustrate, uh, frustrate me. I mean, I understand the sentiment, but, you know, I just can't allow myself to get emotionally drained like that. So I had to keep an even uh, temperament. You know, um, you would expect people to, to, as much as people complain about there being a lack of real information or even a lack of black produced, you know, radio. Um, you know, they even when there is something presented to them, they don't always support it. And but we're certainly grateful for those who do, you know, uh, support the yeah. work that we're involved in. But we're talking about abolitionism. And so, you know, this ain't got nothing to do with whether or not you like black talk radio or whether you like me or like Max. This has to do with whether or not uh, you like slavery and human trafficking of the legalized variety. So. You know, um, I used to yell at the TV. I used to yell at the man on the radio before I got into radio and ask, well, why don't you ask these questions? Or, you know, whenever they're having these political debates, 
uh, every four years since that seems to be what uh, most people focus on the most and not the midterm elections where, uh, you know, seats of power are exchanged, you know, um, and they don't ask them real questions. Well, I'm used to that, you know, I'm used to that. I've been actively, you know, being a, a observer and I would say a participant in politics since I do vote, have voted since I was 18. But really just paying attention to the social political landscape. And I've known, you know, if it's on corporate media, it's contrived. You know, the the fix is already in. They're not going to really ask real questions. They're going to ask childish questions. They're going to try to instigate, you know, uh, um, what you might call uh, uh, gutter media. Uh, where people are being uncivilized. And you know what we see mostly on the GOP side with Donald Trump engaging in name calling and, and, you know, and it didn't just start with Donald Trump, but, you know, the corporate media is more interested in a circus to get some, oh, did you hear what he said about her or just, what she said about him? And, I, yeah. I just saw that happen to one of our comrades with BBC America. Uh, Brother uh, Muhaddin Ibaha, as, as you know, is an outspoken abolitionist and one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement in Charleston, South Carolina, and running for a senatorial seat, did an interview with BBC America, and they only asked him maybe three questions, and two of those questions were loaded questions that were only put into the airspace for the sake of putting them out there. One was uh, about addressing black-on-black crime, and the other one was a question of, you activists seem to have so much time to do all of this. Don't you have jobs? So it was to imply that, you know, we're just all lazy. Well, do politicians and, have freaking you know, jobs? You know, because well, politicians people, are activists to uh, whether we, you know, it's pretty much the same job description. You're both purport to be working on behalf of the people, but usually as the case with politicians is they're working on behalf of whoever filling up their campaign coffers. And so, you know, I, I mean, I, that's to be expected. I've told, I've put out there, let's just say I put out there publicly that I think black people should stop going on Fox News. At least if you're serious yeah, about true. your activism, you know, because that, again, all they are trying to do is provide entertainment and political uh, uh, theater for their viewers. They want to see black people go on there and get put in their place by Bill O'Reilly or Sean. So why even waste your time when the, if you're trying to get information out to the people and you're going to be disrespected to the point you're being interrupted. Now, loaded questions, I can handle loaded questions. I can flip loaded, loaded questions on their head. You know, you, 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 so, you know, I'm not too much concerned about that. But again, you know, you, I guess you just have to, know the media outlet uh, that you're going on, but, you know, uh, I actually participated, was interviewed by the Real News Network a couple of weeks ago, and that finally got published, I believe it was yesterday, um, the segment, I Mixed what, what You Like, and but I know that was friendly media. I know that's real media. They really serious about the issue, so I don't hesitate, you know, to give an interview like that. But if Sean Hannity, which it ain't going to happen, they're not going to invite somebody like me 
onto their network because they don't know what's going to come out my mouth. You know what I'm saying? So, But I don't let none of this frustrate me, man. That's why I created Black Talk Media Project. That's why Black Talk Radio Network exists. That's why New Abolitionist Radio exists because we know the real information and, and the real questions aren't being asked. So, you know, they, that's right, how it right. is. And, now and they're using our, our leaders out there in order to put these things out in the leaders? air, which actually do us more harm than good. Who is our and leaders, though? Who 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 you, huh? who do you mean when you say they're using our leaders? Well, like Muhadin Dibaha, who recently had I said at the BBC uh, interview. Well, I, I kind of see this movement as a leaderless movement. You know what I'm saying? And so they might want to slap that label on him, but you know, if you ask him himself, I don't. You know, I can't purport to speak for him, but he might say he's a servant of the people. He's not a leader. You know what I'm saying? I think he, Say it like that, as a matter of fact. But you know, you gotta call it with how you see it. The brother is doing a hell of a lot of organizing, leading the way. So he's taking the lead. Running yeah. for senatorial candidate. Same with Christopher so Irvin. Same with Christopher yeah. Irvin, who's running for the city council in Baltimore, and who is an abolitionist, and states yeah. it publicly that he's an abolitionist, and he know all of this so-called criminal justice reform is about reforming, you know, slavery. And, and his goal is to abolish it, but if he can provide any relief to the uh, enslaved people up there in Maryland, then he's going to do that, you know, through legislation as much as as much as he can. But he understands that abolitionism is the answer. So, you know, but but again, man, corporate media exists to do one thing and that's to keep the masses misled and on the wrong path. It's, right. it's entertainment, right. really. It's, it, the news is really entertainment. The corporate news is really entertainment. It's not really information-based. Yep, this is exactly how it is. But right. I was uh, thinking, I, I was thinking today as the Democrats will, uh, Hillary Clinton finally agreed to have another open forum, so-called slash debate town hall, where they'll be taking questions from the audience out there in up there in New York City tonight. And um, she finally agreed to do that with Bernie Sanders. I think Martin O'Malley dropped out. And so, again, you know, when these things happen, and I don't, I don't know if we have enough abolitionists in place to where they would be in that audience and might be able to pose a question to Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders and ask something like, well, Mr. Sanders, you introduced this bill uh, move, uh, what's the name of that bill? The 2015 Justice, Justice is, is Not, not for sale, sale Act. But I have yet to really hear you push that on the campaign trail. Why is that, Mr. Sanders? Or uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, you took a whole lot of money from private prison corporations throughout your entire career. You advocated for mass incarceration policies, which are a continuation of slavery, according to authors like Michelle Alexander. And so why should why should uh, victims of that legislation or those policies now support your campaign? See, you're not going to get real questions like that asked by, you know, the uh, uh, the let's just say the party establishment peeps and whatnot. But again, though, if we infiltrate these institutions, these organizations and, and just, you know, even if it's. Like you sneak into the joint, you know, and, and we I was thinking to myself, how do we get make abolitionism 
mainstream, you know, and we are starting to go mainstream. Let me not, you know, step on the little mm -hmm. bit of uh, movement we have been seeing in the mainstream to acknowledge that slavery was never abolished. You had News 1 with Roland Martin uh, have a guest on who just wrote a book and, and he talked about, you know, on that news network, News 1, uh, slavery never being abolished and it just being transformed. So the mainstream message I mean, the message of abolitionism, it, we are, so we had Angela Chan on Black Talk Radio Network, who published in the Huffington Post and, and you know, talked about the 13th Amendment. So the final call, I think, even wrote a piece on it. So we are starting to get this message mainstream. But if you ask me, you know, uh, uh, we need to be pushing even harder and coming up with yeah. strategies to um, identify how we can do that. Is your hunting uh, on yet? Uh, I will check. I don't think so, but I will check. Uh, let me see. Yes, he is. There is your hunting. Thank you for joining us, bro. What's up, brother? Peace. Good to be here. Good to be here. <clears throat> I've been listening in to y'all commenting for, for a few minutes. So here. what's your thoughts on that, on, on pushing the abolitionism message more? mainstream to where we can even ambush these journalists because i know y'all seen the videos of the we are change guys and how they ambushed mm -hmm. hillary and asked her something about libya and she was laughing and they was like this is serious you just going to laugh you know how, how do we ambush these these political candidates with abolitionist questions well, <clears throat> I think it's uh it's it's just like everything else we talk about with this with the movement overall, you know, slavery itself cannot be reformed. Savagery cannot be reformed. Uh these corruptions of democracy, of uh capitalism, I mean everything that is is the way that we live, they, these things can't be reformed. We have to it has to be it has to be ended. I mean, so I think it's a I think it's a toss up when you're trying to appeal to the political establishment, which only exists to maintain the oppressive system in the first place. I mean, well, not trying to appeal, but placing demands in the same way that Frederick yeah, Douglass I, did, the same way that Harriet Tubman did. I understand, but this is the thing that that I feel like with this Frederick Douglass. Okay, bring that in. When you have in his time or even in our time, what you have is the vast majority of affected or oppressed people that are being represented by one voice maybe or by a movement that's a few small voices, you know, collectively doing what they can for the good. The masses themselves remain uneducated, unengaged, uh, irresponsible, uh, with, with, you know, outside the boundaries of accountability to to get involved in this for themselves and help us to get these changes made. So I look at his time as much like I look at our time now, where back uh, last year in in like I think it was early maybe March or April, you know, nearly every uh, elected elected political figure above like a city mayor level, you know, everybody on up had already pledged their their uh, allegiance to Hillary Clinton. Before we heard anything from any of the candidates on what was before the debates on. even started, before the first debate, right, right. So when you have hundreds and hundreds, literally, of 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 black 
people who have been elected by a constituency that is presumably, you know, made up of other black folks or other maybe lower income people or maybe, you know, people, non-whites who are, are, are underrepresented uh, generationally and traditionally. When you have these people come out and unabashedly give their, their support to someone, before we can ever make a demand as a, as a group, uh, before we can ever align uh, with anything she says she believes in and find a way for it to work for our own good, I mean, before we can do anything, these people have already sold out our collective votes. Because even if we're talking about politically, like for the presidency, we know the Electoral College is the bottom line. Um, and we know the corporations control the legislators and write, the, write legislation and carry it with a briefcase full of money and hand it to who they want to bring it and introduce it, and it gets passed. So I'm just saying when we appeal to these people and appeal, you know, through media opportunities and, and kind of a, a guerrilla uh, you know, like attack these people like with our signage and our propaganda and get our word out. I just think the best we can hope to do is to wake up some and catch the attention yeah, and, of and some. And that would be the whole point of that is, is, yeah, is to yeah. but I don't think it has a serious shock. I don't think it has a serious uh I don't think it has a, a future in in truly aligning with any of these political figures or really going to work within the system to fix it from within. I don't think the system is ever gonna be something it can be fixed because it's working the way it was designed to work. So we got to just attack them and tear their stuff down with with a, a media and propaganda barrage that cannot be ignored. So I guess just more troops in the field, more signs, more photo ops, more photo bombs, more Twitter attacks, more social media, you know, running these people just crazy. More. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just redouble our efforts and ask that people do the same. Please. Uh, just using the word abolition makes a big difference. It puts yeah. it into the atmosphere because they're not talking about it. Just the word abolition. If you could just put that somewhere or use that every now and then, it makes all the difference in the world. And I think also it's important to, like you mentioned, uh, Johanna, you got mainly the Black Political Caucus, and that's not to let any uh, non-black politicians off the hook for their support of modern slavery. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, uh, uh, but making politics local, well, when you have an opportunity to participate in a town hall, are you going to that place where, where like Greg did, where Jesse Jackson was going to be speaking and talk to Jesse Jackson about slavery, you know, or like I wrote about this black politician, Ayanna Presley, the first black woman, the first black woman, period, a, a woman of any color, a period of joining who was elected to the Boston City Council. And then she's electing Hillary Clinton. While then you got uh, Boston black high school students, you know, having demonstrations against systemic racism in the school system. And so we had to confront these. We had to confront Ayanna Presley on her support for a candidate like Hillary Clinton or for any policies she might be supporting that we like analyze. The chairman who advocated or uh, promoted uh, the CCA. Yeah, you're talking about Debbie Swasserman Schultz, Schultz. But right. I'm saying even on a local level, man, we need to confront these people with abolitionism. And, and 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 to me, you know, yeah, you you're if you can ambush a Hillary Clinton or any of these presidential candidates, 
that are, you know, really being focused on by the corporate media. And, and you know, we know we can uh, uh, use social media to put out our own media of us ambushing them with questions and trying to provoke responses and whatnot. But it's much easier to do it on a local level. To ask a Ayanna Presley, don't you know Hillary Clinton is the grandmother you know, because we call her grandmother, it was 1990, so, you know, mother of, of mass incarceration, continuation of slavery. You know, it, uh, do you know uh, uh, how the state of Massachusetts is Ferguson? You know what I'm saying? We got to confront these people, man. At, at a, not so much that we expect them to do anything about it, but but from the standpoint of we're letting them know that we know that what y'all doing. And that we are not going to stand silently by and 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 just twiddle our thumbs and complain and and not be out here organizing against it. So that that's my point in it and using it as a tool to organize more of the masses. Because if we're going to need more than what we what I can see uh, in terms of an abolitionist army for us to bring an end to slavery. Yes, yes, indeed, brother. And I know we're all we need is one of us. All we need is one of us to get some money, man. That's all we need. Yeah, if I could have hit that lottery, man. If I could have hit that lottery, man, y'all have been seeing abolitionists. Hey, it would have been an abolitionist super pack. (laughs) You know, producing commercials and whatnot, calling these candidates out. (laughs) Yeah, because we need a mass media campaign to open people's eyes and make them face stark reality. And the truth is, we have a solid argument on every level with anything you can imagine as proof, as testimony, as evidence. And if we were to hold trials today on slavery and human trafficking, international trials, we could win it with just the information we required here at New Abolitionist Radio alone. And that's the, that's the honest truth. But we have to get this message out on a mass level so people can be forced to take to make a decision. Are you for slavery or against it? Stop calling it all these different synonyms and uh, metaphors that are being used. You, not, not only do you have to talk to your children about encounters with police, but you got to explain to them what slavery is so they never forget and, and always are aware and wary so if they see it again, they'll know what to do. And we see it again right here at New Abolitionist Radio. You can find all of that information in our archives. I mean, studies, you name it, we've got it. Literally, yeah. from the uh, we've got NAACP presidents speaking out, saying it in no uncertain terms. We've got constitutional lawyers explaining it. So you know, slavery for idiots. The book should be written. <laughs> you know, we've got people who have been enslaved and freed and and thrown in prisons by the thousands. We've got all of that right here. Well, let's uh, move on to our first story because it's all going to tie in together by the time we're done. Every week, that's what we do. We tie it all together. Let's go ahead and take an early break so we don't have to interrupt the story. Right, right. That sounds like a good idea. When we come back, we're going to talk about that Chicago who is suing the family. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable. Until you reflect, for 200 years, ships sailed carrying problems of slavery. Ram, non, non-violent. In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, is actually doing our people a disservice. 
In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Pick it up, let's go. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Our lead story today is in regards to a policeman out in Chicago who is suing the family, the estate of the teenager he shot. But this story is a little bit more detailed than that. It's going to take two parts to really tell you what occurs. Uh, so I'll start with what comes from the Chicago CBS local, uh, the story that came out from them on January 25th. And in it, they reported uh, after the uh, emergency calls were released, about how this young brother in Chicago, uh, his name is uh, Antonio LeGreer, called 911 twice to report that uh, his life was in danger. And then his father called after that a third time before anybody actually responded to the call. Both of them uh, warning that there was something going on of uh, danger in the household that needed police attention. The police came, and I believe it was on December 26th that this occurred, day after Christmas. The police came and saw the young man, the younger of the two, with a baseball bat and immediately shot him dead. Not only did they shoot the young 19-year-old kid dead in front of his father, but they also shot an innocent woman uh, through a door who was happened to be a bystander who shot her once in the chest, killing her as well. Uh, it says it wasn't until the Greer's father, Antonio, called police three minutes after his son's 911 call that the dispatcher sent police to the home. The Greer's father sounded panicked as he called 911, and a banging noise can be heard in the background. He told police that his son had a baseball bat in his hands and was trying to break into his bedroom. Now, this is what they have published here. Officers arrived a short time later. One officer opened fire, claiming Quintonio the Greer was belligerent and swinging a bat at him. LeGreer was killed. 55-year-old Betty Jones, a resident in the building, also died when she was hit by a stray bullet. OEMC says that this, uh, says they discovered the circumstances around the calls after an internal review and immediately began an internal disciplinary process. So this is something that they thought was wrong, too. They're going through the whole disciplinary process. And the accounts of the attack by the young uh, brother are also in question, which means it may not have happened that way at all. Now, moving on here to January, and we've got this story coming out of current counter current, at least the one we're reading, where it says Chicago cops says he's suing the family of the teenager he killed due to emotional distress. The Chicago police officer who shot and killed 19-year-old Quintonio LeGreer has decided to add insult to injury by suing the family of the victim. Just after Christmas, Officer Robert Rialmo stated that he plans on filing a lawsuit against the dead teenager's family because he said LeGreer somehow assaulted him and thus caused him emotional distress. Officer Rialmo says that he shot LeGreer seven times because the teen who had called the police for help three times before they responded swung a bat at him. But Rialmo also accidentally shot LeGreer's neighbor, Betty Jones, hitting her in the chest and killing her. Do you suppose? that caused some emotional distress before she died? 
Witnesses refute the officer's story, saying that LeGreer did not attack the officer, but was instead holding a baseball bat to defend himself from someone who had been threatening to kill him. That is, in fact, why LeGreer called the police to report these threats to his life. Rialmo says he plans to sue the family of his victim, saying that the decision was made after a hearing for the victim's wrongful death lawsuit against the city. Bill Fortress, one of the several attorneys for the LeGreer family, said in an interview from CBS Chicago that this is nothing more than a desperate, desperate attempt to distract from the simple fact that Rialmo shot LeGreer four times in the damn back, and thus, cannot claim any legal justification in spite of his imaginative story about a baseball bat attack. You can find the rest of that story at New Abolitionist Radio. Gentlemen? I wonder if people are tired of this. <clears throat> I mean, that's really what it comes down to for me, these stories. I just wonder if people are tired of it. Because if we're reporting on it, and clearly, these media channels that get this information now, Countercurrent News, uh, Raw Story, obviously Black Agenda Report, I mean, dozens of other uh, more or less independent uh, resources for, for getting news info out there, propaganda. These people are obviously, you know, there's, there's, it's not a thing of being like black or white, like like we just got this this black army of journalists that reports on this. I mean, we got all kinds of allies and people that are working in the trades and and know the truth and report it, you know, all the time. We depending on them for the for the news and information all the time. So I'm just saying this to say we already have all races and educational backgrounds and financial situations pretty much represented within the movement. But I just wonder, are the masses tired of this? How many people are going to get shot in the back? How many lies are the police going to get just caught, just bold-faced telling you, just, just lying? Like, they're basically double-dog daring you that you don't care and you're not going to pay attention. And ultimately, I mean, what does it matter? This guy probably did something. He deserved to die anyway, right? And you just accept it. How long is this going to go on? They said that toward the end of that story, they said New York City prosecutors charged an unarmed police shooting victim with felony assault for causing police to accidentally shoot bystanders when they were aiming for him. I just wonder when people are going are gonna have enough. That's crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. <laughs> when when are people gonna have enough? But I I've mean, seen this is it basically before. like somebody coming in your house and and raping your daughter every night. Or somebody coming in your house and just taking your wife over into the other room while you in bed, just pull her right out to bed, take her another room, do her however they want to do her, and just leave her and walk out your front door and go on about their business. The next day they come back and do it again. Next day, I mean, when will you? Be like, whoa, you can't do this to me. People are being violated systemically. This is the system in place. It is, it is working the way they designed it every day. We can never get to the bottom of the worst story. We have reported on these stories for years here. It just keeps getting worse and more depraved and more ridiculous and insane and evil Every week. Now they suing people because they shot bystanders when 
and they they saying that they're going to charge you with felony assault because they were shooting at you and you made them shoot somebody else? Let me hush. This is the kind of, I mean, like today I made a, a Black Talk Radio weekly commentary uh, which is syndicated on uh, Tiny Free and Friends Network and I usually upload them to Black Talk Radio but I was talking about you know, Black History Month, February, and I was talking about the black revolutionary soldiers and just how racist the white enslaver George Washington was that he almost lost the uh, Revolutionary War because he barred um, black colonists and enslaved Africans from serving in ranks of the colonial army and whatnot. And so when I think about that time period, when I think about the first casualty of the American Revolutionary War, Crispus Tux, who along with other colonists rose up because of acts of police brutality by the British soldier against teens in a, a local uh, community there in Boston. And, and what we were just talking about Boston earlier, Crispus Tux, Afro-Indian, a black man named as the first casualty. And so then when I, you know, study and look back at the things that not colonists like Crispus or Tux complained about, but the things that your rich, white, wealthy enslavers uh, like Washington, Jefferson and others complained about being under the boot of oppression of the of King George. And then I look at the boot of oppression on the people's necks in the United States today, primarily black people, and I was like, damn, revolutions were started for less than what we less. see and what we experience in these streets every day. Revolutions, you know, to end slavery there allegedly was the Civil War started, you know, to, well, actually the Civil War was started to protect slavery. Let's not forget that. Okay, it's not like right. the South went to war, declared war on the South for practicing slavery. No, the South declared war on the North because they got scared of a Republican administration that they thought was going to end slavery, despite despite Lincoln telling them you have no such fears. Those fears are unfounded. I do not intend to mess with you and your slaves. You know, I mean, we had the documents, the letters he rent. So I'm I'm saying that the oppression that we see on a and corruption and evil that we see on an everyday basis in the United States there was a revolutionary war started for less and there was a civil war uh started pertaining to slavery and I'm just sometimes I wonder man like you Johanna what is it going to take if this ain't enough <laughs> to make you Want to over to you know get that boot off your neck? What what will it take? Will it actually take them just allowing cops to just you know like what's the guy named Daniel Holesclaw? You know is that what it's gonna take? A, a thousand Daniel Holesclaws that except for they don't never get found guilty of them just raping your sons, your daughters, your wives, your your mothers, and I don't know what it's gonna take, uh, yo, honey. I, I don't know. Can't answer that. You know, the the masses it seen have a high abuse tolerance level. These are the acts of slave catching. And I don't understand why this man isn't facing murder charges instead of sitting somewhere trying to put law frivolous lawsuits in that show just how much how, how racist and demonic they can possibly be. 
to get away with not only killing a teenage boy in front of his father who had called the police for help, but also an innocent bystander. Is this how our police conduct themselves? Yes. Yes. Exactly <laughs> how they conduct themselves. This is yeah. why we got 78 people dead already in 33 days. Because they conduct themselves like this. Hmm. That's why people are afraid to call the cops for any reason. We don't want, and if we don't want to call you because we're freaking frightened to death that you might walk in and kill us by mistake. Well, what good are you? What good are you? Hmm. I tell you, people need to learn, man. People need to learn. Stop calling them. You really got no reason to call them. All they're going to be able to do is come there and, and escalate the situation. Well, There's not enough evidence of them learning how, of them knowing how to or choosing to de-escalate whatever's going on to bring it down and calm it down and get it under control they escalate it they come in looking to use maximum force and they know that the law is going to back them up so they don't care they've been wanting to catch bodies they, they, that's, and, that's a war that's war hero stories and you can't even call paramedics to address a health crisis because the paramedics yeah, gonna bring the cops with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You remember that policeman that said uh, the worst thing we could have did was abolish slavery. <laughs> You're that right. We should be exterminated. And this is a policeman who's still on the freaking force. That yes. Clark was caught saying this publicly. You don't think that they exist out there? There's so many of them out there right now. The KKK has literally come out and told you they've insulted all of these police organizations. Major reports have come out from places like Alabama that show they've been framing black people for years. Yes. So look, so look, and you can see this is the case. This is way beyond civil rights. This is murdering people in their own home. Yeah, and it's also... Shoot your son, son dead. Shoot the woman down the hall who just happened to be in the area dead. And then say, you know what? I'm going to sue you because you hurt me with bleeding on me. That, that was emotionally distressful, so I'm going to sue you now. You know, just throwing it in your face like you ain't going to do nothing. You know, abolition yeah. for me, though, is, has gone beyond black and white. Uh, we're talking about skin tones because now slavery, it don't matter your skin tones, even though they have certain skin colors that are highly prized above others, and they target those, but still... You know, beyond that, man, they they are just going after everybody, just some more than others. But when we're talking about police and we're talking about slave catchers, and these slave catchers look like black people, I mean, how can it? How can we simply deduce it to a black and versus white issue without acknowledging the other layers of, of in historic layers of you know just people selling out, man, just selling out. Uh, join, you know, I can't beat them, so I'm going to join them. You know, I don't want to be a slave, so I'm going to be a slave catcher. You know, I, I mean, so for me, it's beyond, it's, it's beyond black yeah. and white, man. We're not fighting white people. We're fighting slavery and human trafficking. Right, That's what right. Slavery We're fighting slavers. Against white people? Slavers, because I tell you, if I could punch uh, a third good marshal the third, is he junior or is he third? The third. third. Yeah, if I could punch him in the face, man, he have big old swole eye, man. You know, he would. Well, I'm not I'm not um I'm not in this to call out white people individuals. 
I don't have issues with individual, you know, people. I'm grown, right. so you know, we, we made it past the high school years, and folks want to fight and all that kind of stuff. I'm not out here with no problem against no individual that I've met or have to deal with or have to see on a day to day. But I am most definitely against and calling out on a constant basis systems, institutions, mm-hmm. um, and I and I do all of my research and my critical thinking. And, and, you know, logical deductions are based on what systems are in place and what is, you know, like the, uh, the old quid pro quo, you know, who, ben- or, you know, qui bono, who benefits, like who, who benefits from this rather. So who's the person benefiting and what system are they representing when they're going about doing what they do so they can get their benefit? When I see a system that in any way benefits any persons that are non-white, then I won't attack white supremacy as adamantly as I do. But unfortunately, every system of oppression known to mankind that I've been introduced to on the planet Earth for the last 500 years at least, and in the all foreseeable future, benefits white supremacy. So yes, you have some proxies, you got some tools, you got some racially showcased buffoons, you got the the cerebrous, you know, uh, three-headed dogs or whatever that's protecting one gate and blocking other folks from us. You got all these these themes and these these memes and tropes and yeah, all that happens. Yes, of course, there's one-off Negroes that have found a way to get as many butter biscuits as they can get. But where are they coming from? White supremacy. There is not any person non-white who is benefiting his non-white self and other non-white individuals or groups or communities in any kind of way significantly. Everybody that is, that is doing something against his own, if he's not white, is only doing it to benefit other whites so he can get some crumbs off the white supremacy table. So I understand where y'all coming from and no, I'm not walking around, oh, I'm mad at white. No, no, that's not what this is about. But the system benefits a certain group. And so you got a certain group group that has to that has to disassociate itself from its benefits. And that group depends on on proxies to do its job. I mean, if you look at it from a military aspect, you know what I'm saying? I mean, every military invasion, they they had to have inside help. Everything, every conquer people, it was an inside job. Somebody showed them the way. Somebody told them the weaknesses. Somebody, you know, uh, 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 pointed people out and whatnot. And, and so, but for the masses, the masses are so uneducated in terms of just even acknowledging that slavery exists. You know, uh, um, it's hard for them to even comprehend, I think, the role that non-white people play uh, in it. And then also when we talk about a system of white, suprem- white supremacy, we have to name the names. Who are these people? These aren't just some white supremacists. Think of a cartoon figure, let's say a Ku Klux Klan cartoon of some nameless, faceless person in the hood. These people have names. And, and that's, that's my issue with this whole notion, even though I do acknowledge there is a system of a global system of racism and white supremacy. I was just writing about it today. But we have to get beyond the boogeyman factor and how we tell these stories because I'm hearing a whole lot of boogeyman talk. And, well, who's the boogeyman? 
Well, damn, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton are the boogeymen. You know, those were poor, what, what I call poor, poor whites who elevated themselves, poor racist whites who elevated themselves to white supremacy status because everybody ain't a white supremacist. You know what I'm Remember, saying? Bill yeah. Clinton compared Sister Soldier to the Grand Dragon of the KKK. <laughs> he was the dude that really started the whole black racist thing. Like such a thing could possibly exist. But but then when we have a chief executive officer who is I don't know how much they made two hundred thousand a year. Then he had the book sales and he's going to have those tremendous speaking fees once he get out. Is this man going to to uh, set them federal slaves free before he leave office? You know, and then get Secret Service protection for the rest of his life and a salary of what two hundred thousand? I know they was talking about uh, uh, knocking it down a little bit. You know, and that's what, but see, when we have those individuals like that, man, they spread more mass confusion than a white person could ever do. You, you, you see where I'm coming from? Because we know yeah. to keep, we know to be suspicious of, of white people, and, and we know to keep, to, 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 you know, keep checking them out to make sure they ain't practicing racism and whatnot. But it seems though, when it comes to people who look like us, or, or our non-white period, we tend to let our guards down, man, and they do all. Uh, they do so much, so much damage that I don't think, you know, I, I think if we could minimize the damage that they do, man, there would be a tremendous advance on the battlefield. If, if we could get that in order, we could secure secure our uh, battle lines, and our battle lines ain't secure, man. Not at all. I, I'd like to expound on this maybe a minute more, and while I do that, uh, Johanna, if you could pull up the story that's coming up next uh, regarding mm -hmm. the cameras that are being destroyed, and you'll, you'll cover that one. What I want to say is that I'm noticing we have one enemy and two frenemies. The one enemy, of course, is these white supremacist slavers who like things just the way they are, and they don't see what they're doing to people as wrong at all. It's all about capitalism and bottom line, and people are just collateral damage along the way. And you don't care about them and you don't know them. So you buy your stocks in prison, you buy your whole food products, you buy your uh, products that come from various organizations and businesses that use slave labor, or you say things like, we can't stop using prison labor to fight fires in California because it would cost us a billion dollars a year in salary. So you put money always above the lives, health, and welfare of human beings. And the two frenemies that I see is the first one would be those who also are in our community, people of color, and know what's going on, but have found a niche for themselves where they can continue to enrich themselves. And those people have names, uh, like Christopher Epps, the former commissioner of the entire Mississippi prison system. People like the head of the Bureau of Prisons right now, and also, as you said earlier, Scotty, like the man who sits on the board of directors for the largest prison in slavery in the world, CCA, uh, that would be Thurgood Marshall Jr. or Thurgood Marshall III, which is a shame on everything that we can imagine. Again, another one would be Sheriff uh, David Clark, who promotes white supremacy on a regular basis and blames black, him being one himself, for everything. And the other friend of me that I see is the people who have accepted as a fact that slavery ended and is acting accordingly based on that knowledge. 
there a lot of times you see their main concern is reparations. They want reparations for what has been done up until some point. I don't know what their point they're, they're saying is that's the end of it. I would assume 1865 because that's the standard operating procedure. But they simply are not aware that the synonyms and the metaphors that they constantly put out, like mass incarceration, policing for profit, prison for profit, and so on and so forth, are actually slavery. Not the uh, legacy of slavery, not the remnants of slavery, not the undying uh, post-traumatic slavery syndrome, but slavery being enacted right now, today, upon the United States citizens on a regular basis and worldwide. Hmm. So there's well, our let two me and our one enemy. Let me give you some names. Charles E. Samuels, Jr., director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the one that uh, Max was talking about. Uh, Kamala Harris comes to mind. Yes. Uh, Attorney General of the State of California, who said outright, we cannot afford to let these prisoners out, these slaves out, because then we're going to have to pay regular wage-earning fire people men and women, to go out and fight these forest fires, that would cost us billions of dollars. Why don't we just keep these people in prison so we can continue to enslave them for 25 cents a day? That just makes sense. This is a black woman talking like this. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with, man. That's but at any rate, yeah. So are we, are we going to move to the Chicago yes, police? Let's, let's keep it going with Chicago. We've had a Chicago uh, theme going today, so you're going to understand what's happening in one city, which right now, the global community should be looking at and saying, we need to get together and go down there and rescue those people. Seriously, how is Rahm Emanuel still even allowed to be mayor? I mean, it's like the Flint deal. You know, the mayor there or the governor in the state of Michigan. I mean, these people, how? Damn, man. Tiger Woods had sex with a damn Hooters with some Hooters waitresses and lost all his shit in 72 hours. Is this what we really, is this going to be our legacy? I'm going to read the story, but I, I just need a rant break. Like, seriously, people, is this going to be our legacy? I got to live and die with you ignorant sons of bitches. Seriously. I mean, I'm sorry, y'all. I, I really try to keep it under wraps, but th th this is pissing me off. I got to live and die in this. Th this is what people gave a damn about while I was alive. Tiger Woods had sex with waitresses from Hooters. Oh, my God. And lost a billion dollars in, in endorsements or whatever in 48 hours. But you got people that are running the entire state that are poisoning the citizens. These people have poisoned thousands of children. And this All son of a... This bastard is still collecting, got, collecting funds. Ain't in jail somewhere. You got a mayor of a city... The people didn't want him back in the first place. I don't know how he won in a re-election in a city where the police have been corrupt for the last 200 years. You got a reparations fund that's a, a, a piss-ass $5 million for hundreds, potentially thousands of victims that you're going to have to exonerate or just accept the fact that you're willing to let all these people just die in prison for stuff they didn't ever do. Smashing people. Guantanamo Bay. Yes. You got your own black sites, right? I mean, what do they need to do? These people going around erasing video footage of them shooting people. They got black sites 
were they just taking people and just hiding them and some dying in custody? I mean, and these people are still getting money. But you'll have a movie star to have a drunk driving arrest, have a flip out on the set. He he cursed somebody else. Somebody get caught at a comedy. What was it? Kramer said nigger at a comedy show when his whole career is over. I mean, these are the things that you people give a damn about. So maybe you ain't been called out on it. So I'm not trying to make this a flip out whatever, but maybe nobody's brought this to your attention how ridiculous you are. Think about how ridiculous you are, that you care more about getting blood from Kramer <laughs> than George Zoli. Oh, my God. I just right. – anyway, okay. From Mint Press News, I'm sorry, y'all. Chicago police have been sabotaging their dash cams. This is from uh, Mint Press News, like I said. Last month, the Chicago Police Department found that 80% of its 850 dash cams do not record any audio. And 12% don't even record any video. After the notorious video of Laquan McDonald getting shot by Chicago police officers 16 times went viral last November, investigators have been making their way through other videos of the scene. In doing so, they've discovered that three of the dash cams pointed at McDonald that day did not even record any video. Others had no audio. Now a Chicago Police Department audit reveals that many of the department's dashboard cameras have been deliberately sabotaged. Oh, my God. Last month, the CPD found that 80% of its 850 dash cams do not record any audio, and 12% do not record any video either. The CPD has blamed the failures on operator error. We're only talking life or death. We're only talking about life imprisonment or walking away free because you didn't do anything. But it's operator error, and they all still have their jobs, their pension, their union representation, their benefits, and everything else. They still have a nicer home than you and get to walk around with guns all day, even though they're sociopaths. <clears throat> the CPD has blamed the failures on operator error. And a close reading of that review by DNA Info Chicago reveals the extent of the latter. Officers frequently tamper with their dash cams, stashing microphones in their glove boxes, or pulling out batteries. So that's not Some operator error. That's not operator error. Operator that's terrorism. Error. Yeah, operator error is when you don't know how to operate the equipment. That's what operator error means. That means right. that I don't know how to make a phone call. You know, cause, you know, I put in the wrong numbers or something like that and it kept dialing the wrong number. That's operator L error. All right. What right. we're talking about is deliberate, uh, destruction of property, of taxpayer property. And we're talking yeah. about, uh, uh, we're talking about a conspiracy to, uh, you know, cover up crimes and, and, and other misdeeds and whatnot. So this, this is domestic terrorism. Is what this is. And if somebody if somebody had on a turban and said Allah Allah Akbar and then pulled the camera out and then somebody ended up dying and we had no footage of it so we couldn't do anything about it, that would be terrorism. And they blame it on Muslims. The blue freaking blood, blue uniform, blue line, blue whatever is a religion far more dangerous and deadly than Islam. It's killing more people. It's enslaving more people. Yes, it is. 
is terrorizing more people, and you cannot buck up against it. Right. Or you will be instantly killed. Well, these people are sabotaging taxpayer-paid equipment. And see, so here's they can the carry thing. carry on in this way. Here's the thing. This it was not just discovered just because of the Laquan McDonald. I served in the military, and I was being punished one time because I hung out all night, got drunk. Uh, it was late to formation. So I got banished to the motor pool for for a couple of weeks and whatnot. And, and so, you know, but even in the military, you know, with, with our communications equipment and stuff, you know, you go through regular inspections and you write down logs and it's your job to make sure that this material, I'm talking about the motor pool, the police department the same way. They got the motor pool. And they got these technicians that that service the cameras and all yep. that equipment on a on a periodic you know uh, schedule and whatnot. And so they are making these notations and keep. Man, I bet you these some of these records are probably uh, more than a year old. This wasn't just discovered because of the Laquan McDonald shooting, and they examined those cars, and then they for no. This is this is department wide. You know, this is department wide, and and if you got caught doing something like that in the military, not only are they going to force you to pay for the equipment, and 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 then also, you know, first time you do it, you might get what they call an Article 15, you know, a letter of reprimand. Second time you do it, man, they looking to process and kick you out. You know what I'm saying? Because we can't be wasting taxpayer money like that. But but this isn't just about, you know, taxpayer money in these cases. We're talking about covering up. We're talking about a department-wide conspiracy to cover up crimes. And I'm willing to bet you there were some technicians possibly who kept pointing this out to their supervisor. And, and that supervisor might have went to it. Somewhere along that chain of command, you know, uh, uh, somebody, you know, just buried it. They, they buried the, the, um, the problem. Or the issue, and, and so you have a culture well, of, of corruption, man. Yeah, the story goes on to, to kind of cover some of what you're talking about. It says DNA Info also describes a month-long repair time for dash cams that experience quote-unquote intentional destruction. It says, that, for example, Jason Van Dyke, the officer who shot and killed uh, Laquan McDonald, he's been charged with first-degree murder. But he brought in his dash cam in early 2014 to have a wiring problem fixed. And he got it back three whole months later, June 17th. The very next day, so June 18th, the very next day, his dash cam was broken again. Because they, they, know, they know the process. They know how long yeah. it's going to take. And, yeah. this, and it's so backed up. Now think about it. If it's taking months for them to fix, then that means that they are working on hundreds of cars, man, with the same problem. Yeah. And they have yeah. to order the parts, and the parts have to come in, and you know, because they yep. may not have enough parts on hand. I used to work in the aviation, uh, even though I was communication, I was attached to an aviation unit. So I know how the process goes. And they done figured it out. I break this now. Hell, it's going to be at least three months that I can run the streets of Chicago, you know, with no oversight whatsoever, man. They they got it down right. to a science. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we're dealing with, people. This program is not here to, to entertain folks and just 
hear us flipping out and talking crazy and, you know, kill Whitey. This ain't none of that. We're talking about systems that are in place destroying you. This is a literal God's honest truth. If you believe in God, you believe in some kind of faith or something, pretty much all of them say it's going to come to an end and you're going to have to meet your maker. All I know is this. When this thing either self-destructs or whatever happens and it's over, I'm not going to die with all this blood on my hand because I've been telling you the time. I've been telling you what's going on. I don't, I just, I can't believe that people know all of this and still comply. Who are you complying to? These people are a million times more corrupt than you will ever be. And they telling you, you're the criminal. You know, somebody told me the other day when we were talking about voting rights for the formerly incarcerated, that they don't want criminals allowed to vote for who should be in office, like rapists and murderers. Steve, and, and they listed like a half a dozen different things that they don't want voting. But that's who runs the damn country. And exactly. Exactly. That's How who's running for president. Mm. 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 Well, uh, let's finish up this story and then get on to the next one. The next one is a pretty deep story, too, with a lot of uh, side routes that can be attached to it. Oh, uh, let's go ahead and take our break. All right, there you go. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, talking about slavery and human trafficking in the 21st century. And we'll be right back after these messages. We're sick and tired of this bullshit. This country where one minority group dominates and dictates what the majority is supposed to be doing. I don't think that's the way it works. And that minority group, they don't do anything productive for this country. Well, look, I'm not going to say that they're, they're Except for us. the NBA. And if it wasn't for the NBA, Joe, like I always say, our country would have the world's tallest garbage man. Okay? Thank God for the NBA. to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Our next story is, again, twofold. It comes in two parts. So you have to hear the first part, and we'll give you the second part afterwards. But it also shows many different details of what we're dealing with across the United States of America and our police departments, a.k.a. our slave catchers, and just how corrupt and deeply embedded uh, in our society these things are. Let's start off with the first story, which comes from none other than CNN. It says, uh, it's from 2015, November 4th, and it says, Death of Fox Lake, Illinois officer, a carefully staged suicide. Initially hailed as a hero after his death, Fox Lake, Illinois Police Lieutenant Joe Glenowitz is now likely to be remembered by another label, a betrayer. 
what once appeared to be the killing of an officer in the line of duty turned out to be a carefully staged suicide, George Blanco, Lane County Major Crimes Task Force Commander, said Wednesday. This staged suicide was the end result of extensive criminal acts that Greenwick had been committing. Blanco said announcing the conclusions of the investigation into the officer's September 1st death. The officer had been stealing and laundering money from a police department program that monitored young people hoping to become law enforcement officers, Blanco said. Blinowitz, a leader in that program, had been stealing money for at least seven years, he said. The investigation found that the officer, who had experienced uh, creating mock crime scenes, staged his suicide to make it look like a homicide. The police officer placed his equipment at the scene in an attempt to mislead first responders and investigators to believe that this was a homicide, Blinowitz said. Fuck me a hero. Glenowitz committed the ultimate betrayal with his actions over the past several years. He behaved for years in a manner completely contrary to the image he portrayed. Another reversal occurred Wednesday. A group that gave Glenowitz family $15,000 asked for the money back. The 100 Club, which assists families of first responders who lose their lives in the line of duty, said it must stay true to the group's mission. Glenowitz's family didn't reply to that request, but issued a statement asking for privacy as it coped with the loss of a beloved husband and father. Now, let me put this in context. This policeman, who was labeled as G.I. Joe and seen as an American hero and a, a well-respected person in the community, running around arresting people for doing wrong, sending them in prisons and jails, was himself laundering and stealing money from an organization dedicated to the future of young people in his community and had been doing it for seven years. At the thought of being exposed because they were doing an audit on the accounts, he first tried to have the accounts switch to another department. And when they denied that, he put out a series of messages and emails to his cohort and his wife being one of them, one of them, saying that they were going to be busted for what was going on. So he decided to enact this elaborate uh, deception that he had been killed by three black men. So he called in, said that he was chasing them, ran off into the woods and blew his own damn brains out. To leave the police to think that he died as a hero from them Negroes who were so crazy they just had to kill a cop and assassinate a cop. Now that's part one. Part two of it is now where the wife herself is being indicted. And there's a picture here from uh, New Yahoo of the family who are looking so downtrodden and distraught because they lost this hero in their world. It says, the widow of disgraced Illinois police officer who staged his suicide to appear he was gunned down in the line of duty, sparked an intensive manhunt, was indicted Wednesday on charges of assisting her husband in siphoning money from a youth program. Melody Glenwick, 51, turned herself in in the Lake County Sheriff's Office when she learned of the grand jury indictment. And Detective Christopher Covelli, a sheriff's office spokesman, she was taken to the county jail Wednesday afternoon. Her bond was set at 50000 Her husband, Fox Lake Police Lieutenant Charles Joseph Glenowitz, died September 1st. Authorities said he shot himself because of fear of discovery of embezzlement 
from the Fox Lake Police Explorer post. Now, the wife has got a $50,000 bond. Their entire life is a lie. They've been exploiting people to enrich their own lives. And now they're the victims, it appears to be, in here. That's all it is. And to top that off, nobody, as usual, has considered the fact that any arrests made by a criminal are illegitimate. And if you're capable of embezzlement and theft from a youth program while wearing the office of a, uh, 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 the office the uniform of an officer, then you're capable of framing people, which is what you have been doing. And that every case should be looked at because there are potentially hundreds, if not thousands, of people sitting in jail cells right now put there by a known criminal. Brothers? Not really sure what can be said. This is a... This is a real sick narrative tonight, folks. This is like, uh, I mean, this is why I don't need to celebrate Halloween. I don't need to watch scary movies. <laughs> there ain't nothing Hollywood could come up with that scare me more than what's really going on. I mean, this is the reality of our situation. Yeah, this it's is, hard for me to reality. add anything uh, that I haven't said about hundreds of cops on this program for five years so I, I mean man I, I want to know I, I'm, I'm just I'm tired of talking is what I'm saying I'm tired of talking I know what we do is needed I know we got to keep reporting but I mean I'm just getting so desensitized I fear that I'm getting desensitized by so many stories and then I wonder too if that's also something that's facing the masses man that they just come accustomed to hearing about all, all of these shootings and, and whatnot you know, I I would say that say that more so about my generation than you know the college students that are out there uh, in in the streets. That's what, but that's what I fear, man. I'm just, I mean, every day because I see these stories day in day out. Cause you know we track them and whatnot, man. And it's like, man, what more can I say, man? That the to yeah. point you know out to people that this is not a profession that should be you know held up in high regard. And it's not about the, you know, climbing the tree to get the kitten out the tree or helping the little lost kindergartner find his his class he got separated from. And, and do those things happen? Yes, I'm sure those things happen, you know. But then, you know, uh, um, outside of those sort of things where they are actually providing a public service, they are providing a service to the wealthy to, um, you know, catch more slaves for the new plantation and right. whatnot. So, let me let me ask y'all a question: As informed, uh, educated, intelligent brothers that I, I trust will will speak the truth at all costs, no no agendas that I know of or have ever had any caught any hint of that you know will cause you to to speak anything other than the absolute truth about these situations. Let me just ask you: What? What is the fascination that people have with this profession? And they believe that, because I hear people say more often than not, like the, 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 the alternative to what we have is not having police roaming the streets going crazy on the citizens. Therefore, the citizens would just be going crazy on each other. So you need the police to keep the people from going crazy on each other which is not proven, which is not based in any kind of fact, which no. is not realistic. I mean, 
people act like police have been around since the beginning of mankind or something. So that's not true. But I, I just wonder, what is it going to take or why are people, I guess I should ask because I think we always talk about what it's going to take, but why are people so determined that the only option we have is police violence, police terrorism, dealing with and accepting all the corrupt cops that are in there folded in with the so-called good ones who don't do anything about the bad ones. Why do people feel like this is the only option we have? When we see fire departments are on demand, you don't see people just rampantly dying from fire deaths and out-of-control fires destroying the city and, you know, whatever, because the fire department only comes when you call them for a specific situation going on, which they can actually come in and help put to an end. But the police get free reign to just roam around and just do whatever and just be out here burning gas. You can't catch slaves sitting on your behind watching TV in a station. You can't catch slaves playing foosball. You know, you can't play. You can't play watching sports and all of that sitting on the couch in a lounge lounge waiting on a bank robbery call. You can't catch slaves that way. You had to be proactive, Johanna. You got to be proactive. And damn it, you're not bringing in your quotas. And I don't know if you're going to have a job by the end of the month. <laughs> oh, now that's a job I would love to get fired from. I wish I, I, wish I had to become a cop so they could fire me. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, God. how do you think we I pay can't. your salary, man? And don't you enjoy all that overtime you get? On those drug mm-hmm. stings and, and just watching people and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. yeah. I think they're turning the hero through mass media. That's yeah, that's, what, that's right it there. right there, Max. It's been, ages. It's been pro. Uh, Andy Griffin. Did you see Andy Griffin's show? I used to watch yeah, that show right. coming up play. as a kid. Him and Ain't B yeah. and, and Opie. That's not what Zork looked like. And 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 what was that character named Barney? What was his name? Barney Fife. Barney Fife. Deputy Fife. Yeah. Wasn't he so funny, man? He was yeah, so funny. Man. He was just like so most harmless. Of the things you see on TV is cop shows. Yeah, he was harmless. Yeah, but now though, man, that that, and, and, and that's the that's what's really getting me is if you watch cops, man. And I know cops isn't going to show you everything. And, you know, like when they ran, because remember, they were filming, what, the first 48, they were filming when they ran up in the house and gunned down little seven-year-old Ayanna Jones who wasn't doing nothing but sleeping on the couch. And, and you yep. know, after they done shot in, the flashbang grenades that landed on her and set her on fire before they came in the house and shot her. But, you know, that didn't get published. That didn't that didn't make the TV. That no. was on the cutting room no, floor. No. So yeah, they couldn't put that on there. That people would be shocked to see that. People yeah. would be disturbed. But I do. I have watched it at times, and since seeing them sit up there and lie to people about their rights and and just being extra violent when it was no violence, the dude was already laying down. Man, why all y'all come pile on top of him? You don't know if he got asthma or what. He's being non-combative. And, and, hey, and what, if you got now? asthma? Don't don't do crime if you got asthma. Right. Right. Don't have us think that you did crime. Don't have anybody call us. Don't let us see you not make eye contact with us. And so we have to come attack you if you got asthma. Because you're just going to die and it's going to be your own fault. And please, God, don't have 
any traces of alcohol in your system. Don't have any traces of any kind of prescription medications in your system. Don't take the Tylenol. You damn sure better not have no weed in your system and surely not no, oh, my God, if you got a narcotic trace elements in your system or some kind of narcotic, oh, you deserve it. <laughs> Good riddance. But that's why, man, it's that, that propaganda programming, man. Yeah. See? Yeah. See? Which is why I go off on this program, to be honest with people. Because I feel like I'm in a propaganda war. So, damn it, I'm going to be a propaganda machine, too. I'm going to talk real crazy. Because what you don't understand that they're attacking you with some real crazy shit. <laughs> the propaganda that you are watching and living and eating and drinking and breathing and living by, you will live and die with a belief system that was programmed into you by memes and tropes and archetypes, stereotypes. These are propaganda efforts that have successfully seeded into your very soul. You will not live and die with an original thought in a lot of these areas, and you should be pissed off about that. Yeah, we're talking about slavery. We're talking about pain and suffering and death and lost, lost years and billions of dollars. We're talking about all those things, too. But just on the basic human level that you are a person that was created, you were a clean slate. And these people have successfully seeded into you, sowed seeds into your brain, into your body, into your very living soul of lies and deceit that you will go to your grave believing. You will not protect yourself because you believe the BS they told you. So, yeah, I come on here and I'm a propaganda, talking crazy, flipping out whatever machine. Because maybe I might say something that will get as much of your attention is some headline that has you, well, oh, well, I guess he did deserve to die. I want you Your to Honor. hear me flipping out. Your Honor, I, I, this yes, report just came in. Uh, Kanye West has a thing for fingers. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Ex-freaking-exactly. This is the whole point. You'll be all over that, won't you? Lord, my Lord, have mercy. Well, I'm teetering I, on the line of feeling like maybe some some of it we deserve. No. I just I, it's tough for me to, to to always feel like we need to be delivered when sometimes I feel like we kind of deserve it. Look at us! <laughs> you just said it. More people that will listen to this program now or in the future listening to the podcast know exactly what you was talking about when you yep. said that right now. Mm -hmm. Oh man! Wow. All right. I'm sorry, y'all. Just ignore me. <laughs> sorry. I well, can't. I don't know what to do. I have to uh, make a choice at this time because we're running short on time, and uh, mm -hmm. I want to try to get as many as I can get in. So I'm going to skip the ice story. It's an important story. We posted it on New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page. Please take a look at it. It shows you, uh, matter of fact, let me just read the conclusion of the story. It said, it seems that private prison contractors not only control an increasing share of our unjust immigration system, they now seek to limit the public access to government contracting decisions and the reach of the FOIA itself. Well, they are hiding see, their information. Because, see, then you, then, you know, we got a presidential election going on, man. And we got candidates like Rubio and, and Clinton. And they got, we even got a DNC chairman that is, you know, connected to that private prison industry. 
herself. And so we can't be letting that kind of information get out and have transparency and see what government officials is signing off on these slavery contracts and whatnot, man. Come on, man. We don't live in that kind of society. Who are you to know? I know you pay taxes, Max, but damn it, man, you just want to know too much. Well, <laughs> just nosy. Let damn, me, man. Let me get on this next, <laughs> this next story, as a matter of fact. Yohane, uh, if you'll do me a favor and pull yes, up sir. the Missouri story, I'm going to give you the story about the uh, brother that's about to be executed, okay? So, so they kind of tie in together to show you what's going on right now, according to Rolling Out. Judges say a black death row inmate is innocent, but he's said to be executed. And they're talking about Kevin Cooper, uh, who was charged with murder in 1985. And so far, I believe five judges have shown that his evidence and uh, was, was mishandled, that there was prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct, and several judges have said that he's innocent. But he is still set to be executed yeah. right now. Still set to be yeah. executed, this innocent man. And that's going on right now. Now, what happens when somebody is executed? I mean, you know, there's some stuff that happens that might blow your freaking mind. I mean, just how despicable it all is. And that comes yeah. with the story that's coming out from BuzzFeed about these damn executioners, because that's what you are, being paid in cash. Hmm. Why cash, yeah. Max? <laughs> I think the story is going to explain that. <laughs> because they don't want to pay taxes on the money. Again, as Max said, this is from BuzzFeed.com. It says, uh, Missouri paid executioners $250,000 in cash, possibly violating tax laws. So the state pays its small team of executioners in cash to limit the paper trail. The state isn't sending proper paperwork to the IRS, experts told BuzzFeed News, that it could be contributing to tax evasion. <laughs> Imagine that. You are the executioner. You're the one that has the ultimate say over right and wrong and who breaks the law. Wow. Shortly before he sets each execution in Missouri, a high-ranking corrections official takes envelopes filled with thousands of dollars in cash to the state's executioners. Damn. The cash limits a paper trail and helps keep the identities of the executioners hidden. Because why should they be hidden? They're heroes. If cops are heroes, aren't executioners uber heroes? Superheroes? I mean, the cops don't do anything wrong. So everybody that's on death row and gets executed, I mean, that should be the most proud job in America. Doesn't that, doesn't that stand to reason? Isn't that logical? If cops don't do wrong and policing is correct and everybody that gets arrested or stopped or murdered in the street or sent to prison, or all of them deserve it, you might have less than 1%, that, you know, but, you know, that's negligible. All the people on death row deserve to be there. So by logic, shouldn't every person that kills the people that are on death row be proud of that job? Why would they be hiding? I don't, I don't understand. Most of the envelopes are filled with $100 bills. And on the outside, the envelopes carry instructions. They aren't to be opened until completions of services rendered. Are we in 18 freaking 15? Is this a Clint Eastwood Western? What the hell? They give you an envelope. Don't open until completions of services rendered. The executions, executioners are given pseudonyms 
to protect their identities. M2, the nurse, gets 2400 while M3, the anesthesiologist, gets the envelope marked 3000 M7, the drug supplier, gets the most. He gets an envelope filled with $7,178.88 in cash. Missouri Director of Adult Institutions David Dormeyer has handed out nearly 100 envelopes filled with cash since November of 2013. Over that span of time, Dormeyer delivered $284,551.84 that we know of in cash to the small group of individuals who helped the state carry out the death penalty, of which the state should be entirely proud of. I don't understand why they're hiding these people. According to BuzzFeed News review of receipts and audit of the payments, a spreadsheet showing cash withdrawals and memos marked confidential in which the payments were discussed. It seems very strange to me, says Sandy Friend, a law professor at Rutgers School of Law, Newark. How could they possibly be paying in cash? That just seems ridiculous. In fact, several experts who spoke with BuzzFeed said the state's methods raised serious questions about whether the state has followed federal tax law. The Internal Revenue Service requires that those who pay contractors $600 or more fill out a 1099. What are you doing? The disclosures notify the IRS that the agency should be checking to make sure the recipient is paying taxes on those payments. But in response to BuzzFeed's news open, uh, open records request, the Department of Corrections said it has no records about 1099s for any executioners. Sorry, we just don't have those files. The Department of Internal Procedures makes no mention of any 1099s or really any other notice made to the IRS. Dormeyer, who handles cash payments, said in 2014, uh, in a 2014 deposition, that he was unaware of any 1099s being used ever. <laughs> you provide the Internal Revenue Service with proof they've been paid? Do you not? An attorney representing death row in inmates asked him. I do not know. He responded. <laughs> Man, that's enough. That's enough. Well, I mean, what about state there, taxes as well? There was one part in there that I'd like to read, if you don't mind. It was yeah. way down, and I found it. It said yeah. the top corrections official appeared frustrated that he had appeared before the committee. At the time, he was facing questions over the state practice of executing inmates while appeals were still pending in court, as well as the purchase of execution drugs from a pharmacy that was not licensed to sell in the state. Yes, it's cash money, the Marty told the committee. They've made it clear that we wouldn't have the people required to carry out the death penalty if it wasn't in cash. I just don't know what y'all feel like you living around. What do you think these people are if they're not evil? What do you think you living in? I listed, I put up a list of a 100 and a total of 156 men who have been freed from death row as innocent. The average stay for each of them was 11.3 years. That's 156 times you mofo got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was the Scalia said? We've never executed. <laughs> he said the United States has never wrongfully executed a, a prisoner. Yeah, but he was wow. saying guilt or innocence don't matter. <laughs> you know, yeah, what he, it yeah. don't matter. The, the state rendered a verdict and it was legally carried out. So guilt or innocence doesn't even matter, I believe, is what his so point it's, was. It's semantics, huh? 
Yeah, your life comes down to semantics. <laughs> wow. I got a question I want to ask though. The envelope that's given to the drug company for one execution of a one-time administration of a mm -hmm. cocktail of drugs, which caused has caused many people to go through incredible pain and suffering mm -hmm. long before they die. Yes. Which was visible on video of people suffering for minutes on end. They charge and get paid in hundred dollar bills seven thousand one hundred and seventy eight dollars and eighty eight cents. That is worth more than its weight in gold. Please tell me what the hell kind of chemicals you got. That's mm. seven thousand one hundred and seventy eight dollars to be delivered to kill somebody one time. I don't understand that. What is it, made out of freaking cotton platinum? What is it? I don't know. I don't know, fellas. I don't know. I don't know. This is why I like what we talked in the planning group when I said to y'all, I don't have to pick a story. All of this is equally evil, man. I mean, we, we could honestly, honest to God, the listeners know we talk about this week in, week out. We could honestly be giving you a, any combination of another 25 or 30 different stories that would all plug into the same two hours and be just as depraved, just as evil, just as freaking ridiculous as the ones we're telling you. How does that make you feel? Well, today we did go with a theme, and the theme is mostly about everything we told you tonight is happening in one state, Illinois. Hmm. Just one state. We're not talking about all over the country. That was happening in Illinois, all of those cop stories and the corruption stories and, and, and the women and men and the family that was robbing the youth and so on and so forth, all in one state. Yeah. This is bizarre, y'all. So are we going to take our last break and then come back and get these last segments in? Yep. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We want freedom fighters and we need them today. We'll be right back after this. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, it's been a hell of a powerful night, and it always is, man. If you can listen, if you can get somebody to just listen to one program of New Abolitionist Radio, odds are it's going to change their mind about what they had been thinking previously, which is why you were so important. We're doing what we can on this end, but we need you on that end to make sure you bring people here so they can hear these facts with their own ears and make up their own mind. Don't hug the information to yourself. Uh, our next segment coming up is going to be, well, we got 30 minutes left. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's save some time for our final comments of the evening. Uh, I do want to say that we haven't been doing our Ferguson is America series for the past few weeks, and that's primarily because of me. Um, I, my computer's set up right now. I'm having problems with connectivity. I can't find a decent uh, company to provide me with unlimited access. And it's just really holding me back from doing the research. So I would like to say, and Scotty, if you would uh, just read it or, or agree, let me know. 
maybe invite someone else to become a part of the program where they can do that segment until it's done every week for us. What do you think, Scott? Perhaps it might help if you explain to them what all goes into that. Right. I could do that. I would certainly do that. Uh, We have several people who uh, I believe are capable. So if you're interested in becoming a part of the program for uh, the next uh, quite a few weeks to finish off where we started with the America is Ferguson series, please contact us and uh, we'll work it out. So we'll go into our, our next segment, which will be our writer of the 21st century underground railroad. There are people who are being free. If you look on New Abolitionist Radio, as I said, I just posted 156 of them who were sentenced to death and now are free people because of a godsend like the Innocence Project. And the Innocence Project is not getting them all, they're just getting what they can. So here we have Lawrence Williams Lee, uh, Georgia Conviction, 1987, charges to 2015. On June 8, 2015, Wayne County, Georgia Superior Court granted the prosecution's motion to dismiss all charges against Larry Lee after he had spent more than 27 years in prison, more than 20 on death row, for a triple murder during a home robbery. Uh, see order of Noel Prosecute, Wayne County, Georgia Superior Court, June 8, 2015. In May 2008, the state Superior Court granted Lee a new trial, finding that prosecutors had engaged in a full from a prosecutorial misconduct. <laughs> They're like they said they covered every base. They did it all wrong on purpose. Accompanied by prejudicial investigative failures by his trial counsel. Uh, that would be Lee versus Terry Butts, County Georgia Superior Court, May 1st, 2008. As described by the Superior Court, Lee was convicted and sentenced to death based upon a weak prosecution case dependent for its success on the believability of two witnesses uh, unfavored in the law and by the public, a jailhouse snitch and a co-conspirator, with absolutely no forsonic evidence to link him to the crime scene. The court found that the prosecution affirmatively misrepresented to the defense and the court that it had no exculpatory evidence in its file while concealing evidence that contradicted the testimony or undermined the credibility of every one of its key witnesses. It also manipulated the trial proceedings by first denying the defense access to physical evidence and then presenting evidence and argument it knew to be false that suggested Lee had been in possession of guns stolen from the victim's home. The prosecution also concealed evidence that linked two other suspects to the murder and subsequently lost or destroyed 47, destroyed like they do on the cameras, you know? Lost or destroyed 47 Latin fingerprints and 15 unknown hairs recovered from the scene that did not match Lee, preventing Lee post-conviction lawyers from examining this exculpatory physical evidence to identify the actual perpetrator. In February 2015, the Superior Court barred the prosecution for presenting the prior testimony of two now deceased witnesses, wow, now deceased witnesses ruling that prosecutorial misconduct had prevented me from adequately cross-examining these witnesses at trial. See order concerning admissible, the admissibility of evidence, Wayne County, Georgia, Superior Court, February 19, 2015, and leading to the decision to drop the charges against Lee. So, welcome to Freedom, Brother Lawrence. 
freedom too. Most certainly. Salute. Salute. 27 years of his life. 20 of it on death row. And he was going to die. And uh, he dropped out into the public now. He probably needs a lot of uh, aftercare. Yeah, yeah. A lot of aftercare. He's like, never be the same, ever. He's the same. And freedom may not be as joyous to him as it is to us. We found that for many, once you become institutionalized, you don't know how to do it. Especially after spending nearly 30 years. Yes. No, Johannes, I've been, uh, I, I feel you on how this can wear out your soul. Everything we do wears out our soul. Uh, but you know what? My soul is strong, brother. Oh, yeah. Filled with but freedom. your soul is strong because you rooted in the truth, bro, and you seeking the truth, and you serving what you, the purpose you're serving is to continue to, to get out the truth. So that's the thing that's going to protect you. That's the thing that's going to deflect you know, the, the erosion that evil does to your, I'm talking about your life force, you know, people call it your soul, the life in me, I'm not just some flesh person, flesh and bones, it's a life inside of me and I have to relate to the other humans that are on the planet with me and I don't understand how people that are playing like they don't see what's going on, I really don't trust most people you run into have a soul or have much left. It's got to be on the way to being crushed to dust. What hope are you? What are you taking hope in? The Kardashians? You, you. That's what builds you up. That's what gets you hyped. See that? That's what gives you the reason to live. That's what gives you some kind of energy to keep pushing forward with all the things you face that knock you down. Plus all of this evil that we're talking about. I don't know how people are are, are replenishing their strength. The truth is the thing that does it for me, so I, I don't know. Well, we've got a few extra minutes. Uh, our next segment will be our abolitionist and profile and our closing comments. We've got about 20 minutes. If you're listening in and you'd like to ask a question or make a comment yourself, just to be a part of the conversation, feel free to press star and one to queue up from the conference. And uh, just put the telephone number out there one more time. It's one six four one seven one five. Three six six zero extension five four nine zero three two test. All right. Anybody on that line by any chance? Anybody? No. Uh, anything, gentlemen? Further on on what we've been saying so far tonight? Maybe we should give them the uh, reiterate the Thirteenth Amendment and how this all came to be. <laughs> Indeed. All of this that we're talking about, people, stems from the 13th Amendment and the exception clause that is found in the 13th Amendment. All of this that we're talking about with the police, for example, that's because the police are the primary ones. They are the primary first line enforcers of the exception that is in the 13th Amendment. That is their job. Yeah, their job Period. is to enforce the uh, Section 2 of the 13th Amendment. Yes. When Congress, and that, and, and that includes yes. your state houses, your state senates, just legislation, yes. politicians, period. And they have the power yes. 
to pass the legislation to ensure that the 13th Amendment is adhered to. And what are they adhering to? They adhering to the practice of slavery, but only through prisons. But they become hmm. nuanced with it, you know. So, uh, uh, but I would say, man, it goes back further. It goes back further than the 13th Amendment. Of course, the 13th Amendment is key in the current form of slavery. But the system itself, man, we had to point to George Washington. We had to point hmm. to Thomas Jefferson. What, what, what it stems back to is the fact that, that racist white enslavers were allowed to be in leading positions in the formation of this nation. And that's what it's the where they view black bodies as capital. And then we're talking about the roots of capitalism in this country then. You know what I'm saying? Let's just tell the truth about it. We're talking about the roots of capitalism as black bodies. The roots of capitalism in this country has always been captive labor to exploit, to capitalize on. And, and, and so, you know, just think of how different this country could have been, could have been if the one quarter to one half black revolutionary soldiers that, that Washington and all, all the others owe their victory over the British too, because without them it wouldn't have been possible as they were vastly outnumbered. And that is only what got, uh, uh, moved Washington to lift the ban he had on black soldiers. And, and I mean, think about how different afterwards, if then those black soldiers and be, oh, you promised me freedom. I was enslaved and, and I came out here and I signed up and y'all promised me manumission afterwards. And then mm -hmm. they banded together with the free black colonists who weren't enslaved and said, that's right. I was there. I heard you promise that man his freedom. And then after, and then after it was clear that we were dealing with some, some, some evil people who wanted to profit off of the, uh, 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 black bodies, black captive bodies and whatnot, then if there had been a second war, a second revolutionary war to put down the anti-revolutionaries. Cause I don't think you can properly call George Washington or Thomas J or any of those revolutionaries when they were denying the principles of freedom and liberty to, to other persons based on their skin color. Even though these other persons are credited with being the first casualties of the revolutionary war going to the Boston massacre and Christmas of Tuts. And even though without them, you, you, and it's in their history, you just got to dig it. And even though you know without these black bodies, you would not been able to defeat the British. So, you know, just think of how different this country could have been, man. And it just would have, it might have saved a whole lot of heartache and bloodshed, you know, uh, um, um, you know, if, if justice had won out in, in this country. Yeah. But the things that we see today is deliberately, I lay at the feet of the founding enslavers. Not founding fathers, but the founding enslavers. And unfortunately, all these hundreds of years later, it may take bloodshed to finally you know, realize the dream of, uh, of the true dream or realization of liberty and freedom for all. There was one story that we had on our list, Scotty, and um, we didn't do it. There's an echo going on. 
so we didn't do it. But uh, it, I guess it would be prudent to do it. it. It's not revolving around America. It's actually out in England. Well, let's not run out of time. That would be my final statement. I'm just going to say real quick, there's a church in England right now that has asked the question of the prime ministers, why are prisons almost entirely black? And they're talking about, uh, you know, they have a 3% Af- African and Caribbean population in the UK, but the prisons represent 22%, which is actually worse than what we have here in America. And in some particular areas, uh, most notably where this particular church is, the HM Prison Birmingham, which is near the Church of God of Prophecy in Winston Green, is entirely black. Because uh, they have these prison workers who go in there and look. And I work mean, we've been, so we've, Max, we've been reporting. And they're seeing nothing but black bodies. Well, I mean, we've been reporting this the slave system and is this global. this particular prison company is owned by G4S, which is also the largest private employer of people in the entire continent of Africa. A private prison company. not just here. This model has been taken and adopted globally, man. So everywhere you look, from Australia to UK to even places like uh, Israel, Palestine, you'll see these private prisons all profiting off the suffering Brazil, and enslavement of black bodies. South Brown America, Africa. Brazil. I mean, they're all over. It's a global system, man. It's a global system. Right. But the only thing, though, again, you know, I do know that it's a white supremacist, the false myth of white supremacy, and that white people benefit the most uh, from this system. But when we're talking about white supremacists, these people have names. These aren't some nameless characters out of a, a scary book or something like that. You look at the fight, look, George Zoli, he has a name. He has a name. That's the chairman of the CEO group. Who lines the pockets of people like Debbie Swasserman Schultz and Marco Rubio and Hillary Clinton and, and give them their marching orders and, and tells them what legislation they won't pass. And as Secretary of State, I want you to approve this deal, you know, overseas to run this prison and, and, and whatnot. So, I mean, these people have names, man, and whatnot. But at, at, at the same time, though, you know, there's no shortage of non-white people participating for whatever benefit that they getting out of it. And they and I just really feel like without that participation, all of this would not be possible. I just don't think they, they could do it. I, I just don't. So, so, but I mean, we've always said it's a global system, man. Who are those African leaders that, that are allowing G4S to, that have allowed G4S to become the largest employer? What kind of country are you running where your largest employer is a European country that is enslaving Africans? You know? So uh, we got to acknowledge, man, everybody's role in this because that's the only way that we're going to be able to unravel uh, uh, this mess that they have, have created, man. In my opinion, but we do got this abolitionist uh, profile. Yes, and it's about four miles, uh, four minutes uh, in length, so we should do that. That'll leave us five minutes left to uh, close out the program. Our next segment is going to be our abolitionist in profile, and this week that would be Sam Sharp, better known as Sam Sharp, who is one of Jamaica's national heroes. He was born in the parish of St. James in 1801 and died May 23rd, 1832. A well-educated man who led the slave rebellion in 1831. 
Samuel Sharp, better known as Sam Sharp, is one of Jamaica's national hero. Born in the parish of St. James in 1801 and died May 23, 1832, a well-educated man who led the slave rebellion in 1831, because of his education, he was respected by other slaves, and he became a well-known preacher and leader. He was also a deacon at the Birchall Baptist Church in Montego Bay, whose pastor was Rev. Thomas Birchall, in the mistaken belief that emancipation had already been granted by the British Parliament, Sharp organized a peaceful general strike across many estates in western Jamaica to protest working conditions. The plan was taken to other parishes eventually spreading throughout St. James, Trelawney and Westmoreland and some sections of St. Elizabeth. The strike did not go according to plan during that time. He traveled widely throughout his parish, speaking about the injustices of slavery and pointing out that the Bible said no man can serve two masters. White people, he said, had no more right to hold black people in slavery than if it were the other way round. He keenly followed the developments of the abolition movement in England by reading local and foreign papers. Originally peaceful protests turned into Jamaica's largest slave rebellion. Hundreds of slaves and 14 whites died in the violence. The colonial government used the armed Jamaican military forces to put down the rebellion, suppressing it within two weeks. On December 27, 1831, the Kensington Estate Great House was set on fire, as a signal that the slave rebellion had begun. A series of other fires broke out in the area and soon it was clear that the plan of nonviolent resistance, which Sam Sharp had originated, was impossible and impractical. A terrible retribution followed while 14 whites died during the rebellion. More than 500 slaves lost their lives, most of them as a result of the trials after. Over 500 slaves were convicted and many were executed. Most were hanged and their heads were cut off and placed around the plantations. Those who escaped the death penalty were treated brutally and many did not survive. Sam Sharp was named as the key figure behind the resistance and he was captured and hanged in Montego Bay on a square now called Sam Sharp Square. Samuel Sharp is remembered by his famous words, I would rather die upon yonder gallows than live in slavery. Sharp's owners were paid £16 in compensation for their loss of property. The uprising that he had instigated was a key moment in the fight for the abolition of slavery, as just a few years later, in 1834, slavery would be abolished and a system of apprenticeship would be instituted. On August 1, 1938, the apprenticeship system ended and slaves were granted the freedom. Sam Sharp was a man of immense faith and courage and his legacy was recognized by the Jamaican authorities when he was made a national hero in 1975. His likeness can also be found on the $50 note. The Sam Sharp Teachers College was also founded in 1975 by the Ministry of Education in funded by the World Bank too is located in Granville, St. James approximately 6 kilometers, 6 kilometers, from the center of Montego Bay.
Uh, did we lose Max? I uh, guess somebody got muted. Um, I don't know how you got muted, Max. And I also <laughs> think we lost Johanan as well. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you now, Max. All right. All right. Yeah, I, we, I had a little issue here with my, my new cell phone. I'm not used to it yet. But, yeah, salute to Sam Sharp. Uh, kind of weird hearing it from a computer, but salute to my brother Sam Sharp. Did you hear what he, they said about him? That the nonviolence that he had promoted and instituted was impossible? Yeah, that, that it wouldn't work, that it was impractical. But let me tell you this, though. See, whenever I hear somebody talking about, you know, they said whenever they, what year they gave that slavery was abolished in uh, Jamaica, again, you know, we ha is that factual? Is that true? But I did do a quick Google search, and um, I, I typed in private prisons in Jamaica, and private prisons are coming uh, is the title of this mm -hmm. February 17, 2013 article said government seeking private sector management partnership. Jamaica could well have privately operating prisons soon. Minister of Justice Senator Mark Golding told the Senate Friday that the government is looking at the potential of a public-private venture to fill the need for a new modern facility in Kingston's metropolitan region that would ease the burden on the Tower Street Adult Correctional Center in Kingston and the St. Catherine Adult Correctional uh, Center in Spanish Town. So um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share this article since we're running out of time. I'm going to go ahead and share this article on New Abolitionist Radio. And again, as I was listening to a lecture by Angela Davis today, you know, the new slavery is also, she referred to it as the uh, prison industrial complex. And it's a global system. It's a global system and, and slavery. We reported on that particular story a few months back when the UK Prime Minister went to Jamaica, who at the time was demanding reparations from uh, the UK. And instead, he said, we'll buy new prisons for you. And that was their plan right there to bring in new prisons to Jamaica instead of reparations. Yeah, provide you jobs enslaving your neighbor. That's the, again, the, again, the roots of capitalism. Slavery and capitalism go hand in hand. You don't have one in the Western world without the other. And people don't want right. to admit that. They don't want to admit that because they've been programmed to have certain feelings about certain political systems. So anyway, I don't have any final comments. Let me check the phone line. Um, I, I, I don't know how Johanna how Johanna got knocked off, um, and he didn't call back. So, uh, Max, do we got a couple of minutes. Uh, you got any final comments? All right. Got, yes. Uh, you know, I don't go out much these days. I'm uh, dealing with so many different things, but when I do go out, I make sure it's worth it. And if you want to see us, or be able to speak with us with abolition or poetry or whatever it is, uh, make sure you follow my page. I'm uh, Facebook, Max Parsis, or Maximum Impact Poetry. Uh, I'll be in Columbia tomorrow night at the session live. Uh, as usually we do that once a month. Then I'll be in North Carolina, where I'm hoping I can pick up Scotty Reed and bring him with me for a weekend at Azul, giving uh, a workshop on modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And then also I'll be in Charleston, uh in the month of February, giving workshops there, and then finally in Spartanburg on March 5th, where we'll also have discussions there. So 
if you want to be a part of these conversations and you're in the area, make sure you follow me on Facebook so I can update you on where you can find me. And uh, I guess my, my final statement uh, would include this. It's a lot of talk about convicting or indicting the Clintons for ch uh, charges of crimes that they committed where she may not be able to be president because she may end up being in prison. And there's several articles that have come out to show that, yes, there are indictable things here for her and the potential that she could be prison. But they skipped the most important part. And I'm not so sure they're not doing that on purpose. Let me tell you something. As damning as all of that sounds, none of it touches on the most criminal part. That while acting as president of the United States of America, Bill Clinton used his office, connections, and his own personal money to help launch the IPOs of the now largest private prison companies in the world, personally profiting from the launch and following state stock sales. They intentionally created a mass epidemic of crime and created criminals, literally sending millions of people to prison and then use that to enrich their personal wealth. Now, let me read you a quote from one of the stories. Max, we, we, we out of time, man. We're out of time. Oh, 959. Well, I'll put it up on New Abolitionist Radio. In any case, the main thing to keep in mind is this. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. 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 We'll